on now? Here we go. We're ready to go. David, thank you. Stephanie, thank you very much for starting us off and leading us in worship here. And again, good morning to Village Church. It's good to be gathered together again in the house of the Lord this morning. And for those who are worshiping with us by way of a live stream, we welcome and thank you for being with us also. God is good. Amen. Even in these times, God is good. He is faithful. We serve a great God. We'll be looking at the scriptures today. We'll be turning, if you will, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We'll be looking at the first couple of verses there, verses 1 through 8 of Mark chapter 9. Uh, this is considered what they call the transfiguration. And uh, I'll be reading. Please follow along. And again, throughout the time, I'll be making references also to Matthew 16 and Luke 9 to get a, a total picture of basically what went on uh, that Mark is uh, speaking about to us this morning. Mark 9, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared unto them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, as we look into your and unfold this amazing passage of your scriptures here, Father, help us to see a glimpse of what this passage says, a glimpse of who you are, Jesus, and through that, help us to desire and worship you more fervently, Lord. Worship you to bring glory and honor and praise to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Mark Harrigan last week did a great job of covering the end of Mark chapter 8. And in leading into today's passage, it would be good for us to review those few verses there that brings us up to chapter 9 so that we have a better understanding and, and uh, the backdrop to what is going to be in the first couple of verses of chapter 9 here. In Mark 8, 27 and on, we see Jesus and his disciples in the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is about 25 miles north of Bethsaida, so it's very, very at the very top of, of Israel there and, and probably into Gentile territory here. It's just about on the same latitude, if you look on a map, as the coastal city of Tyre, which we looked at 
in chapter 7 a couple weeks ago. Here we see Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And as a group they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others say the, one of the prophets. But Jesus continued and asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers out, you are the Christ. We have Peter's confession here of who Jesus is. You are the Christ. In other words, you're the Messiah, the anointed one. And we see what Peter confesses here and is verified by his faith is later, a short time later, at the transfiguration, is verified by what took place there. Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the anointed. Jesus shows off just a small portion of his divine glory revealed at this time for a brief moment before the three disciples. Now after Peter's confession that he just made, Jesus teaches them that he must suffer, be rejected, and put to death, after which he would rise again in three days. Now in chapter 8, verse 32, it's recorded that Jesus stated this matter plainly. He did not use a parable. He said it very simply, easy to understand terms, and to the point. He stated it plainly. So much so that Peter rebukes Jesus on the side. And the disciples, you think about it, they could not understand why the coming Messiah would die. The idea just of the fact that the long-awaited Messiah that has finally come to rule the world in peace, why would he be put to death? This was incomprehensible by them. They just did not understand this. So Jesus has to straighten them out. And he rebukes Peter in very strong words by saying, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Jesus again had to explain this to his disciples later on in chapter 9, after the transfiguration, where it says in verse uh, 30 through 32, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. He will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Now back after this, uh, in, back in chapter 8 here, going on in 34 through 38, after telling of his coming death and resurrection, he explained to the twelve then, along with the crowd that was there, the cost of discipleship. Talks about denying himself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. If you wish to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake and that of the gospel, you will save it. Then in verse 38, last, chapter, uh, last verse of the chapter 8, it says this. It's a word of warning. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
This is Mark's first mention in the gospel of Jesus' second coming. Jesus tells him that he's coming back. Coming back in the glory of his Father. And this thought leads us into the first verse of chapter 9. And I think when we get into chapter 9 verse 1, it's all part of the same message. It's all part of the same conversation that he was having earlier. And it should be read together. It shouldn't be broken apart by that chapter divide there, I think. Because you have chapter 9 verse 1 says this. And as, excuse me, and, and Jesus was saying to them, it's almost like a continuation of thought, truly I say to you that there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Truly I say to you, this phrase used by Jesus is only found in the gospel. He uses it to introduce a truth, to speak of an authoritative word. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death, in other words, not going to die, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. There are a few different views of what this could possibly mean, but in context, I believe the best describes what Peter, James, and John were blessed to experience next. And that's the transfiguration. These three disciples would see a preview of the coming kingdom. A glimpse of Jesus' glory before they died. This event would help cement their faith, increase their confidence in the things that they were going to go through later on. Now we look at between verse 1 here and verse 2, we have a lapse of time and a change of location. Verse 2 starts off and says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. So six days after this conversation Jesus was having with his disciples and he talked about the cost of being uh, following him and, and, and his coming back. Six days later he goes up into the mountains here with these three. Now the account here of the transfiguration is recorded in both Matthew, Mark and Luke. Now both Mark and Luke record the days of being six. Six days between the events and Luke apparently counts at about eight, counting the day of the last conversation and the day of the transfiguration. But either way, it was a few days, six, eight days, whatever it was, between uh, when Jesus stopped talking and the transfiguration itself that took place. Now, in taking Peter, James, and John, none of the other disciples went with him up into the mountain. These were the Lord's most intimate friends out of the twelve, basically. They were sometimes referred to as the inner circle. We say a number of occasions where these three went with Jesus and, and observed and did something special that all the disciples did not see. This is one of those occasions. Jesus brought them up 
on a high mountain by themselves. Now the text doesn't tell us what mountain this is, but it's most likely Mount Hermon, which is about 9,200 feet above sea level in elevation. And it's located about 12 miles northeast of Caesarea Philippi from where they were. So it's a short distance, but still 12 miles. But why? What was the purpose of going up into the mountain? Luke gives us the answer to that question. In Luke 9.28 says, It was to pray. They went up on the mountain to pray. Then Mark very plainly stresses in just six words one of the most spectacular, mag magnificent events ever witnessed. Six simple words. He was transfigured before them. Talk about brevity of what happened. The word transfigured means to be transformed. It's the same Greek word that we get our English word of metamorphosis from. It's a radical transformation. Luke states in 9.29, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. Matthew adds that his face shone like the sun. Bright, gleaming. And look at what happens to his clothing. In verse 3, it says, And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And no dry cleaner, no launderer, no bleach. You're never going to get your clothes this white. Ain't going to happen. Luke states that his clothing became white and gleaming. His gleaming means like a flashing brightness, like lightning. When lightning flashes, it emanates a bright light. That's what it looked like. Here we see a glimpse of Jesus' divine glory that was veiled during his ministry up until this moment. Think about Jesus' glory being revealed for that little bit of time. You think someday in the future now, someday when Jesus shall appear again, the whole world will see his glory. But it says here that he will mourn. They will mourn. Matthew 24, 30 states, And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus is going to come back in that glory someday. And the world is going to see that. Back up on the mountain we have here in verse 4. Jesus says, it says that Elijah appeared with them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. So at this time, who do we see with Jesus? We see Elijah and we see Moses and we see the Lord. Now Matthew and uh, Luke reversed the order saying Moses and Elijah, but it doesn't make any difference really. There was these two that were there with Jesus. And we've got to think, what, why were they there? What, what did they symbolize? What was their importance of their, their being there? Now when we think of Moses, we think of him as being the one who was the lawgiver. Through the, through the Lord, he was considered the lawgiver. He brought the law. And Elijah being one of the greatest prophets. 
These two represented basically the law and the prophets. The old covenant, if you want to call it that, that. And both of them spoke here of what? Christ's death. Luke describes them, I'm talking about Moses and, and Elijah now, as appearing in glory, in splendor. In Luke 9.31, they had some sort of spiritual bodies. But somehow, the three disciples were able to recognize them as being Moses and Elijah. Maybe through the conversation that they were having, or maybe they were introduced, or some other means. Somehow, they identified the two with Jesus as being Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. But talking about what? Mark doesn't mention what the conversation was here. But flipping over to Luke, we get filled in a little more. It says, Luke tells us, they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were talking about his departure, his exodus, his exit, his coming death. These three disciples who did not understand that the Messiah who they've been following around for almost three years was going to die and to depart to fulfill God's purpose. And think of it, they were given this affirmation of this coming event by witnessing a conversation now between Jesus, who's glorified, and Moses and Elijah. What a great event. How amazing that must have been. Luke 24, 44 states this, and after, this is after Jesus' resurrection. So it's after he's come back from the grave. We have Jesus saying to his disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, Peter here, he talks in verse 5, he talks to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It seems that Peter, in a state of amazement and excitement and probably mixed with holy fear, had to say or do something. You know, Peter's got this kind of a impulsive personality usually causes him to say or do things. If you think back on a few other instances, of when, when uh, remember the night when Jesus was betrayed, for instance, Mark 26, verses 31 to 33, records it, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have... After I've been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter said to them, to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But before daybreak that day, he denies the Lord three times. Impulsive state. And you think back in the garden when Jesus was arrested. In John 18.10 it records that Simon Peter, then having a sword being a fisherman, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave's ear, Malchus, right? 
and he cut off his right ear. Peter again, quick to talk, quick to action. That's what we see here. Here he wants to make three tabernacles. Perhaps he thought that he was seeing the ushering in of the messianic kingdom right before his eyes. Jesus is glorified a little. So he starts saying, let's set up dwelling places here. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We see in Luke 9.33, it states that Peter suggested building these three tabernacles as these were leaving. So as Elijah and Moses were done with the conversation with Jesus and they were leaving, this is when he said these things. Maybe with the idea of if I build these tabernacles here, that it was an attempt to maybe detain them and, and keep Moses and Elijah from leaving. But in any case throughout this, we see Peter was in a state of confusion to some extent. Verse 6 tells us, For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. And Luke adds in 9.33, says, Not realizing what he was saying. They were frightened. They were terrified. This caused confusion in Peter's thinking, and he did not know what to answer, did not realize what, was, what he was saying even. And you can understand this can understand Peter's confusion. Six days earlier, Jesus just stated that some of those who were standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. When Peter saw the transfigured, glorified Jesus along with Moses and Elijah, he probably thought that the messianic kingdom had come. But what happens next? Verse 7 tells us, then a cloud formed. And this cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. And it said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Think about what Jesus was just telling them before this took place. Here's a confirmation. Think about what the disciples just heard the conversation between Moses, Elijah, and, and, and Jesus. God is telling them, listen to him. Luke adds, they were afraid. Well, let me get back into the cloud a little bit. And he was talking about out of, out of this cloud. The cloud forms, the cloud, again, throughout the Old Testament, we think of it as a symbolic presence of God. We think about the Israelites going throughout the desert. There was a cloud that was overshadowing them by day so they keep them safe, and by night there was a, a pillar of fire. But this cloud here speaks of God's presence. A glory cloud, a Shekinah cloud, a God's awesome presence there. Matthew states that it was bright, a bright cloud. But the cloud overshadowed them again. Luke states they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now I don't know if they walked into it or if the cloud came over them, whatever the case was. Believe me, they must have been terrified. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. And again, from this cloud, the voice speaks, This is my beloved son. Luke adds, My chosen one was also spoken. And Matthew says, With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Listen to him. 
Matthew states that the disciples fall down on their face. The disciples fell down to the ground and were terrified. The mighty voice of God the Father instructs the disciples to listen to Him. Listen to the Son. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is telling you what must take place. That He must suffer, be rejected, put to death, after which He would rise again after three days. Now Matthew tells us in 17.7, as they were face down on the ground, terrified, says that Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up, do not be afraid. I could see the disciples at this point, probably the three of the disciples getting up, maybe staggering to their feet, maybe getting up slowly. But at once they all looked around. Verse 8 says, all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. This glorious preview, this short glimpse was over. The physical kingdom was not yet established at this time. What they just experienced, God's holy veiled presence in the cloud, was gone. God's holy voice, which they heard, was never to be forgotten, though. Peter in his second letter refers to this event. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And he writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. For us today as we're, we read our Bibles we, we sing songs about our Lord from our song sheets or hymnals. Do we, do we really comprehend? Do we really have a grasp of His divine glory? That glory that the disciples saw for just a glimpse of time here. Do we meditate on His glory, His majesty? The same Jesus is coming back to this earth, praise God, hopefully soon. <laughs> coming back to this earth. And he's coming back in his magnificent glory to take us home to be with him, but also to judge the world. Let us give him the worship, the praise, the honor that's due him. All to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, 
Help us through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to realize who Jesus is. That he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Help us to see him as he is, the risen, glorified Savior who is coming back to receive us unto himself, coming back to judge the world in righteousness, coming back to set up his kingdom and to reign and rule. In praising him, we give you glory. We give glory to you in worship and magnify your holy name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.